Blog Talk Radio. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. The Ken Reedy Show, the best in pro wrestling talk. And before we get into any of this wrestling talk, just want to, for all of us here involved if, at the Ken Reedy Show, our thoughts, our well wishes, everyone involved in uh, just the, some bullshit going on down in Charlottesville. Uh, it's 2017, man. Can we just, let, let's just stop. Let's just stop. Uh, uh, so our thoughts go out to, uh, everyone affected by uh, the nastiness going on down there, um, and you know, if uh, it's 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 been some stuff, tough stuff. It's some tough stuff to to see on TV, uh, on your computer. Um, let's take a break tonight. Uh, let's have some fun. Join us. That's what this is. This is escapism. So again, our thoughts out to everyone affected, and let's try to have some fun here tonight as we get set to go back in time. Back in time to an era, WCW, WCW. We've never done this, but we've never addressed WCW. We were doing a WCW pay-per-view, motorcycles, hobby horses, and the Tonight Show all wrapped up in one as we travel back in time to 1998, WCW's Wild. You want to get on board and talk about this pay-per-view, give us a call. 347-838-9815 is the number to call. Next week, we will get you set for SummerSlam. This week, it's all about traveling back in time. You can check us out on Facebook. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash The Ken Reedy Show. Again, facebook.com slash The Ken Reedy Show. We got neat stuff over there. Check us out. We got a show chat going on. So head on over to our Facebook page. Again, that is Facebook.com slash The Ken Reed Show. You can also check us out on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at The Ken Reed Show. Again, our Twitter handle is at The Ken Reed Show. Tweet is your thing. Check us out over there. Again, at The Ken Reed Show. And you can also check us out on uh, com. our website. You can listen to the show there. You can check out our blogs over there. Lots of great stuff over on the com. So you can check us out on that website. We're psyched to get into this, give you a little history, go back in time, 
hell, this is a time where, you know, it was dicey back then. It was dicey. You didn't really know. And for those for you youngins who didn't live through it, I'll tell you something. You didn't know who was going to come out on top. You really, as a fan, you knew it was a distinct possibility that perhaps, perhaps WCW is going to prevail. And maybe there would be no more WWE. But we're going to get into this specific pay-per-view, Road Wild 1998, and would not be able to do this without the best historian in the business, setting the bar pretty high for him tonight. Let's get him on the line from Connecticut. Dave, how are you doing this evening? Wow, that bar is set pretty high. Thank you very much for the, the, the warm introduction. And not too many people can say in the wrestling business that they've been part of a first. But here on the Ken Reedy Show, the three of us gentlemen can say that this is the first time we've ever covered a WCW pay-per-view event from years prior. So I'm pretty excited and pretty pumped. The show has mainly been a WWE-centric kind of kind of show where we've covered you know pay-per-views from the past and the current ones. But I'm actually pretty pumped to do this for the first time and uh, hopefully you know after the success of tonight because I think this will be a successful show that we'll do more of these in the future. Yeah, man. You know, the one thing I do think about in doing this show, like what it would have been like if technology and everything was, you know, if if the Monday Night Wars were going on in 2017 and we could be running this podcast talking about the Monday Night Wars and then going back and forth with companies. Because the thing is, like, yeah, we are pretty much a WWE centric show, but that came by design. We used to do a bunch of TNA on the show. We would try to mix in other things. And our callers would all want to talk WWE. So it kind of morphed into, all right, that's what the callers want. That's what people want to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about. So, yeah, you're right. I'm pretty pumped to kind of, you know, we've been WWE-centric. And now to go back in time and hit some WCW. But, man, when when I look at this and I start thinking about talking about it, wow, if we were doing this show back in the day, that would have been something else. And as with all of our special shows, our our pay-per-view pregames, our throwback shows, independent wrestling sensation rocky santiago in the studio tonight as well rocky how you doing this evening i'm doing good ken dave as always thank you for having me and uh it was real fun uh reviewing this pay-per-view i'm looking forward to it so uh why don't we have the uh, rubber hit the road and get some road wild and and i want to get everyone's take as far like we'll get into specifics and, and we'll get into like you know, matches and, and, and obviously some matches deserve a little more dissection than others, yeah. but we'll get into that. And, but I, I think this is an interesting year because, you know, by year's end, you're going to see Mick Foley with the WWE title. Um, it's still, you know, the WWE is showing life. It's, it's, it's not a, you know, a knock. It's not like WCW is knocking them out at this point in time. Uh, their rating streak is kind of ended, but it's still, it's still a battle. Um, but but I think when you start to watch like pay-per-views like this, um, you start to see some of the errors in their ways, maybe some of the chinks in the armor in WCW. Um, you see the involvement of Jay Leno. You think that should be a slam dunk. And again, for you youngins, uh, you might not get it. But uh, back in the day, and it was even a little, it, it was it was on the decline even in the 90s. But even back then. Getting on the Tonight Show was a big deal. It was a big deal being on the Tonight Show, and, and for late night television, like to to get on there, um, was was a pretty big deal. And and for Hogan and Bischoff to get on there, 
to try and create some sort of buzz for, for the company to get national exposure on the Tonight Show. You would think that would be a slam dunk, but um, I don't know if, if you could actually say this pay-per-view and bringing Jay Leno into the mix was, was an absolute home run. Um, and we'll get into all this. So, I mean, for me, Dave, when I look at this, um, you know, there's some stuff, and I got it running now. Right now I'm looking at uh, Buff Bagwell with the neck brace on and Scott Steiner on, on a gurney. And, and What's funny? That, uh, you know, we'll get into that too, uh, specifics. But, um, you know, I, I think when you look at that this pay-per-view, uh, to me, you kind of start to see um, some of the errors. Some of like where where WCW might be on the verge of of going wrong. Um, is this the beginning of the end? I mean, I'd little I would have to go back and really watch a lot of WCW to try and pinpoint really where I'd say the beginning of the end. But I think you could at least look at this pay per view as part of the beginning of the end for WCW. Um, some good, some bad. I don't think this is a terrible pay per view. I don't think it's an amazing pay per view. Um, but interesting stuff, Dave, when you start to look at it in the context of history. Yeah, this was an interesting show to go back and watch. Uh, I didn't watch this when, when it first aired. Uh, so earlier this week, it was the first time watching this. I had seen the uh, the Sturgis uh, bike rally teams pay-per-views uh, years prior. Uh, they, they brought an interesting vibe and an interesting feel to a wrestling event. Um, I've always been a big fan of like outdoor wrestling events. I always felt like the outdoor wrestling events helped make the presentation on television and even in person even more special than it already is. So, um, you know, the, the, the Sturgis bike rally in 98 and at that time and where WCW was at and the infrastructure and the landscape of the, the, the company and just the business as a whole, um, there was a lot going on. Um, and you, you brought up, you know, Jay Leno, you know, being a, you know, thinking it's supposed to be a slam dunk and it really wasn't. Um, if you go back a month before, uh, a month prior – um, you had a very similar main event with Diamond Dallas Page and Carl, you know, Carl Malone, NBA Hall of Famer or Basketball Hall of Famer, and Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman in a huge tag team match um, and that, that, that took the media and, you know, the sports world by storm and brought a lot of exposure to WCW and pro wrestling as a whole. So um, as a fan, I remember – when Leno was put into this position, and we'll get more in depth into that match later, but I felt like as a fan, I was like, well, we just had celebrities a month ago at, at Bash at the Beach. Why are we doing this again? Um, but I wasn't totally against it either. Um, but going back and, and watching this show, you can definitely see the chinks in the armor. But if you really want to go back and talk about the decline of WCW, uh, you'd have to go back to when the company – formed his world championship wrestling when Jim Crockett promotions sold that organization to Turner broadcasting from the, from that moment to the moment Vince McMahon bought that company from AOL time Warner Turner home broadcasting Turner executives. They wanted no part with professional wrestling through all the figureheads and through all the guys that ran world championship wrestling and WCW. That was the underlying factor. And it seemed like that that company had no chance to thrive whatsoever until they got in, you know, when Eric Bischoff became in charge. Um, but Turner Broadcasting, they thought it was like the redheaded stepchild, and the only reason why that company existed on those networks as long as it did was because of Ted Turner being such a big wrestling fan and, and, and owning the networks and owning that company. So um, 
that's probably the main reason why that company lasted as long as it did. But the decline, I think it was a slow death that started from the moment Jim Crockett Promotions sold it to the time Vince McMahon bought it in 2001. Well, yeah, I, I can agree with that. It was definitely WCW died a very slow death. And I think part of that uh, you can see here, I think this, it was the price of hubris. Because remember, there, there was that time that WCW was handily beating Vince in the Monday Night Wars. And it was no question that you know, they were the talk of the town. Uh, and this pay-per-view, you can kind of start to see that. I thought the whole setting of the pay-per-view was interesting. You had Sturgis in the background. You had bikers. And, you, you know, you would think, you know, outdoor rally, bikers, wrestling, it all kind of fits. And it fits when it works. Uh, but especially with an outdoor venue, if you don't have a crowd that's very reactive, uh, it can also work against you because there were some times during this pay-per-view where – Bikers fell flat. They, they, they were vocal about the stuff they liked, and they'll rev their engines for, for stuff they approve of. But if they, didn't, if they weren't invested in it, you, had, you, you heard crickets. And there were a couple of matches where you, you had a couple of crickets that were chirping. But uh, overall, it was just it was an interesting pay-per-view to uh, go back and, and look through. Yeah, and I think Hubris is a good is a good adjective to look at, like how, how this company declined and eventually went out of business. Um, you know, because to me, I, when you look back historically, I, I mean, I still look at WCW and the WWE and the Monday Night Wars that it's it's ridiculous the WWE won. I really, it's 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 insane. There's no way the WWE should have won the Monday Night Wars. There's there's no way. I mean, I I just it's beyond shocking to me. And and like as wrestling fans, if you're, you know younger and you look back it's like yeah but the wwe had triple h they had stone cold they had they had the rock they had a, yeah but they weren't them yet like they, they were built during the attitude era and when you look at wcw and getting hogan and hall and nash and bringing in bret hart and you look at everything that transpired during the monday night wars like i i, I mean you know it was like the 27 yankees playing a triple a team i mean it just should have been we're watching WCW programming right now. And it's, it's amazing to me, um, you know, that WCW wound up being the company that wound up going out of business. And you do, you look at hubris and you look at Vincent Kennedy McMahon on the other side. And uh, I guess that's probably in a nutshell why the WWE wound up emerging victorious. And I agree with you guys. And as for me, as someone who is actually, and, and you have too, Rocky, we've wrestled outside, we've performed outside yeah. and, and it is intriguing. I like it a lot and it does. And, and Dave, you said it, you know, it gives it a different look on television. It's a different feel. And, and I dig that too as a fan. I also dig it as a wrestler, as a worker. I like wrestling outside. It's just for me as a worker in my very limited experience being at rest, in wrestling events, um, it is a different feel. Uh, it's a different look. When you get thrown out of the ring and you land on gravel, that's a different experience. <laughs> True. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, you can have guys cheering for you, but that sound is lost. Uh, there's no walls for that sound to bounce off of. Uh, you know, when, when you're walking down a city street and you're wrestling garb and there's no real entrance, you just kind of, do 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 you're walking out. That's different, too. Um, but it does. It definitely gives it a different feel, and it's a different feel as a fan. It's a different feel as a worker as well. Um, and, and to your point, Rocky, I always liked this pay-per-view. 
uh, I thought it was just a cool venue and, and that idea that when the bikers liked something, they'd rev their engines. And I always saw what a cool vibe that was. And, you know, you would, I mean, every time the, the camera would scan the crowd, there was like, you know, tattoos as far as the eye can see and a lot of slutty girls wearing next to nothing. <laughs> true, true. And motorcycle engines revving. And it was just, uh, it was the 90s, baby. You know, I mean, it was just, I just, the vibe of it was just, it was cool. The crowd was 99% adults. Um, but to your point, when they didn't like something, and especially being outside, it was like, all right, like there's, there's <laughs> nothing there. That's and I would think as a, as a worker, that would be kind of a, wow, like that, that's, that's a little unnerving. Like I'm just not hearing anything right now. How can I get a reaction? And you kind of need, like you needed those, I, those revvings of the engine, those revving of the engines were great for an outdoor event because Absolutely. of like the fact that the sound would be lost. Those, the, the engines were loud enough. So you didn't need like as much as if you think about it, one guy doing outside, <laughs> you're not hearing those applause. No. One guy going, you only need one guy to get into it. One guy with a motorcycle, if he dug what you were doing, he'd rev that engine and odds are a couple guys would follow. So oh, yeah. there could be like five guys that are digging what you're doing in the ring. But as long as those five guys are on motorcycles. You were good to go at that point. <laughs> Very true. That's especially evidence in, uh, I think, in Jericho's match. We'll review later. But you know, if you hold, if you held their uh, attention, and they were on those engines, because like you said, it's it's an outdoor venue. Uh, the sound is lost. And normally, you know, look, as a marine, I know my fair share of bikers. Know plenty of them. Actually, in the near future, I probably plan to become one of them. But. If they if they like something, they're going to be vocal about it. They're going to take some action. And if they're on their bikes, forget about it. They can drown you out in two seconds. Yet, if you have those type of people sitting on their hands, not saying a damn thing, and you're in the ring, that is, cannot be a good feeling. And you really are looking in your head, how the hell can I engage this crowd? Agreed. And let, let's get into the event. Let's look at some of these matches. You know, the, the, the event... And again, you know, if, if you're not, I mean, I recommend if you're listening to this show and you've never watched it, um, you know, again, it, it's spotty. I would say this pay-per-view is spotty. There's some real good stuff. This stuff doesn't work. But watch at least some of it just to see the, the different look. I, I think a pay-per-view like this, any of the, the Road Wild pay-per-views that were at Sturgis, to watch, you know, the vibe of it is just, it's very interesting to just, Check out the, the look, especially if you're a younger fan and you've never seen anything like this. Yeah, no, in my opinion, if if you can get through the first couple of matches, because as we, we'll review, we'll go over the matches. The first couple of matches are kind of rough. Uh, if you can get through the first couple, then the rest of the pay-per-view, I think, uh, you know, it holds its own. Uh, not the most tremendous pay-per-view I've seen before, but most certainly not the worst. Well, let's get into it. Let's get into how this pay-per-view kicks off. And, and I do think, like, when you're watching this pay-per-view, and I did watch it when it was on, and I had uh, a group of friends that we got together. I mean, during this time period, we got together for every pay-per-view. For, I mean, now WWE has so many pay-per-views. But back then, it was once a month. But with WCW, we got together for WCW as well. And, you know, at that point, we were adults. 
You know, in 1998, we, my group of friends, we were all adults. We weren't kids, you know, enjoying the Attitude Era. We were all in the workforce. Um, we all were, were beginning at least our careers. So um, escapism TV, escapism, which is what wrestling's all about. So, you know, when you'd watch a pay-per-view like this and see a bunch of grown men hanging out watching wrestling, like that spoke to us. That spoke to us as fans, you know. Um, not seeing a mess of kids, you know, and, and it was different back then. There were a lot more adults that were into pro wrestling and the pay-per-view kicks off. And as much as I watched it live, I didn't remember specifics. I obviously remember Leno and, and Hogan, um, Leno and Hogan, Leno and uh, <laughs> DDP versus Hogan and, and Bischoff. Um, and I remembered that, but I obviously I don't remember specifics. Um but the match, the, the pay-per-view starts off, and it's, and it's Ming versus the Barbarian. And when I looked at that, and I'm like, yeah, we're doing this throwback episode. Yeah, this is going to be cool. And I, and I look at Ming versus the Barbarian. Ming versus the Barbarian. I'm like, hell yeah. Let's get into this. And I'm thinking, guys, said a million times on the show, I, I dig hard-hitting Big dudes beating the crap out of each other. That's the kind of wrestling I enjoy watching. And I'm like, yeah, Ming versus the Barbarian. And I had a, I had a lot of problems with this match. I really did. And, and to, to compare and contrast, you know, when in my, my mind's eye and in my, my brain, I'm thinking I'm going to get a hard-hitting matchup. I thought at times in this match, the Barbarian looked lost. Um, I thought the striking, um, they look like workers' punches. I mean, it is what it is. It's pro wrestling. But um, it, what's interesting to me, and, and I, I think a lot of people get into revisionist history with wrestling, and things are, especially with wrestling. I think wrestling's a big thing where it was always better years ago. Everything now is not as good as everything back then. And there's some stuff from back in the day that I think you could bring back that would help today's product. But there are some things today that are better. And one of the things that I found interesting watching this matchup is right now what's going on on Monday Night Raw with uh, Samoa Joe and Brock Lesnar and especially Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman that I was expecting a really hard-hitting match with these two guys. And maybe part of my disappointment was watching the guys today. Because when I watch Strowman, especially Strowman and Reigns, those two look like they're beating the shit out of each other. They really look like they're killing each other in that ring. And again, maybe that speaks to some of my mental capacities that are, are, are out of whack because I dig on guys beating the hell out of each other. So maybe that's my own issue. But I found myself watching this match craving it to be a little more hard-hitting, uh, a little more intense, and it just wasn't delivering for me as far as intensity. So maybe I, I, in my mind's eye, I was just I was a little too optimistic. But I'm curious your thoughts, Dave. For me, kicking off this pay-per-view, high hopes on this match, it kind of left me flat. You know, I'll be honest with you. I'm actually the complete opposite of what you what you were describing as far as this match goes, my take on it. Um, going into this match when it opened, I was like, I was like, oh, great. This is, this is going to be fun, you know, in, in a very sarcastic tone, of course. And I didn't really have any high hopes for this match. Um, but 
to me, it, 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 it exceeded, or yeah, it exceeded my expectations. I didn't expect much from this match, except these two guys are just to kind of clobber each other. Um, and that's what they did. And I didn't, you know, expect it to go long. And it was fun at, at times. And I think what helped in this match, too, was the commentary um, with, with Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan and Mike Sinead. And uh, I didn't have any major issues with this match. It was a realistic fight between these two brutes. And, you know, you said, you know, law, you know, Barbarian seemed lost at times. Yeah, that I could see some of that going back in hindsight and, and watching this match. But um, let's be honest here. How many real, how many fights, real fights have you seen where, where, where they look as crisp as a pro wrestling match in terms of like, you know, like, choreography and and fluidity with guys punching each other i mean this was just an ugly fight that just made sense in that environment of two guys um who had who had a background with each other as former tag team partners so i didn't really have too much of an issue with this match the post-match stuff i could have cared less for but for the most part this match i was okay with it 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 wasn't something i would have opened the pay-per-view with but it, it wasn't terrible to me yeah, I, I think Dave brings up a good point in, in that I don't think this was the right match to open the pay-per-view with. Uh, I'm definitely on board with you, Ken, when you, you know, you're talking about you want to see two big guys and you want to see them swing for the fences at each other. You know, th- that, to me, always makes for a good wrestling match to see you know, the heavyweights battle it out. And these two guys are obviously two of the bigger guys, uh, two of the stronger guys. Like to me, Ming looked like the t- still at the top of his game. He was still moving quite well. The Barbarian, not so much. Uh, I can agree with you that the timing, uh, Barbarian's timing was a little bit off. But to Dave's point, you know, looking at it, it, it's supposed to be an ugly fight between two former tag team partners that are, you know, no one's expecting a fancy dropkick or arm drag out of these two. They, they are going to beat each other and it's going to look ugly. So to, to that point, I can see, you know, I can see both sides of the coin. Um, yet, with all that being said, again, I don't think this is the match to start off with. Uh, and the post-match stuff, uh, I could have did without. Uh, Hugh Morris, uh, I, I didn't like that whole gimmick uh, to begin with. He, Hugh Morris, and when he became general erection, uh, like, it's sad because, you know, a big man who can do the moves he can do, obviously a great worker, but uh, they could have given him a much better gimmick. And then the one thing I did notice, especially in the, in the post-match, post-match beatdown, uh, when Jimmy, Jimmy Hart basically no-sold a headbutt from me, like a headbutt to the gut, and all of a sudden Jimmy Hart pops back up. I was like, ooh, they, they, I think they overlooked that little detail. Uh, and then to, to top it all off, you have Hacksaw Jim Duggan making the save. That... You know, talk about out of left field, but you know what? For the match, what it was, it was an okay match. And while I say that Hacksaw out of left field, the crowd reacted to Hacksaw. The crowd loved it. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it was a good call. Maybe that's what you needed to get those bikers, you know, uh, a touch of Americana to get them, you know, up. Because to me, the crowd reaction during this match wasn't what you want for an opening bout. And I agree. And that, that's kind of where I had a problem with it, that I just, I felt like, you know, the, um, and I, and I get that idea of it looking ugly. I just didn't think it looked ugly in a good way. You know, like I, I, I didn't think the, 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 the punches and the strikes looked 
impactful and uh it just kind of lo- looked wonky maybe maybe it was part i mean maybe if the post-match stuff didn't happen or um you know maybe i would i would feel a little bit better but i was disappointed in the match itself and then the the stuff at the end was kind of like um all right like well, what what okay like oh look there's hexa oh okay oh jimmy hart's on the top rope oh okay like they were, oh, we're doing this all right you know it was just kind of and it was weird because like Hacksaw was there and Meng just kind of walked off like okay no Hacksaw you know <laughs> I, I'm not gonna thank you or anything I'm just I'm gonna take off now but again to your point to me you had a to me it was it wasn't a good match um, with some questionable storytelling mm. post match I can agree with that but then you got engines revving with Hacksaw Jim Duggan so um, yeah we could sit there and be critical and say. The hacksaw thing didn't make sense, um, but <laughs> you gotta give you, uh, you know, like how am I gonna argue with that? Like I'd say that well, it didn't make sense, but uh, the engines were revving. So um, I thought that was good, which which leads us to like match two, a tag team match, and 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 this was an interesting match because I mean I honestly. There's really nobody in this match I was ever a fan of. So, <laughs> and this match, there, I mean, there was, there was, you know, I, I'm not even going to start off this match. Rocky, your your thoughts on on this tag team match to to give us match number two, ninety eight Road Wild. Well, yeah, now there, there's a lot that can be said of this match, and uh, yeah, looking back on it, not all of it positive. Um, one thing I noticed, and I know Dave touched on it with the last match with the commentary, and especially for me, it was especially evident in this match. You know, as we all know, commentaries can, you know, it can make a, a lackluster match okay, can make a good match great, can make a great match legendary. Um, to me, the commentary in this match spoke to what I perceive as the fact that they did not want this match at all. Um, I don't know whether, you know, Shivani and Tanay didn't like hardcore wrestling. Uh, didn't like, uh, uh, may, maybe it was the ECW element of the public enemy because in, in my estimation, I'm an ECW fan. Uh, and I was a fan of the public enemy when they were in ECW, not so much when they left. And maybe that's because within ECW, you had a bunch of guys who were used to working that style. And here you see the public enemy against Alex Wright and Disco Inferno. Uh, I'm no big fan of either of them. I, I would probably say I would more of a fan of Alex Wright than Disco. But it just seemed to me that the whole pacing was off between the teams. And, and, and then you had like Tokyo Magnum out there as I don't know what the heck. Uh, it, it was rough. The, the, uh, I loved one when, when the commentary when uh, he was saying sorry and Heenan translated. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, he's saying sorry. Thanks, Bobby. And, and that's honestly, that's to Heenan's credit because I don't even think Heenan wanted to call the match yet. He still comes up with gold. Uh, <laughs> you know, just listening to the commentary, they like they did not want to watch this match. They did not have any respect for this match nor the competitors in it. And then when you watch the match again, the timing was off between the teams. Uh, I think the styles were a definite clash. Uh, it just, it, the whole thing didn't work for me. And then in the, in the middle of it, all of a sudden it turns into a hardcore match. 
obviously without the knowledge of the commentating team who, who have to come to that conclusion. And I think at one point, even Shivani said it, uh, you know, and it paraphrased the whole match. This is a mess. And that's, and, and the thing is what strikes me with, with this. And, and, and it was like, you know, with the, and I think the commentary, you, you hit the nail on the head that like, let's be like, I, and, and I've told this story before on the show, but you know, we, we've, you know, Michelle, the producer of the show, all-star Michelle D., um, you know, she's been a wrestling fan now, like a little over a decade, but got, got into wrestling in, in the early, in, in the mid two thousands. Um, and when I was presenting wrestling to her, it was like, just give it a chance, give it a chance. I'll explain what needs explanation. Um, but if I, if I was watching wrestling with her for the first time and looked at things, like, oh, this is garbage. Oh, he missed that move. Oh, that looked terrible. That was an awful match. It, it you influence people. Sure. If you watch some, if you watch some wrestling with someone who wants to be a fan, a new fan, and you sit there and bash everything, if, if the person hasn't watched enough wrestling or doesn't have a brain in their head, they're going to start to buy into the negativity. It's like, oh, I guess this is terrible. And that's what struck me with the commentary because the commentary was really influencing how bad the match was. And, and I think the match actually, as bad as it was, commentary made it worse. I, they they I, I could have uh, potentially, I don't know if they could have saved it, but even with, uh, you know, all of a sudden it does become a hardcore match and it didn't make sense. But if the commentary was like, uh, you know, I'm going to, let, let's uh, see if we can get clarification. Uh, is this in fact a no disqualification matchup? Let's see if we can get word from the back and then kind of say something it, it, it would have at least been a little more palpable to, to take that explanation, but it was kind of like, why is he being disqualified? This doesn't make any sense. It was like, they were literally, they were literally like the, the IWC before the IWC was in, in existence. <laughs> they were literally like bitter wrestling fans sitting there bashing the match while the match is going on. So that yeah, it doesn't was, make any sense. Yeah, That's exactly. why no one's watching. <laughs> so it was, I'm not going to say like that, that the match was, was any good, but I am saying that the commentating did not help. So for me as a fan, it, this pay-per-view is not starting off too strong. Dave, you kind of dug the, the first match. Does the pay-per-view dip for you here? It doesn't dip for me, but I, I, I find some bright spots in this mess, okay? Because I'll agree with you guys. This was a mess. Um, Heenan's commentary, and if you go back and you look at history, um, when it comes to a group like the Public Enemy, the Public Enemy weren't the greatest wrestlers in the world, okay? As a matter of fact, the tables kind of defined them in their presentation and their characters. So when I was watching this match earlier this week, and they had a straight-up wrestling match for a, a, a significant amount of time before they brought the tables out and they officially made it a hardcore match, I was like, is this the longest – in my head, I'm saying to myself, is this the longest time that the public enemy has had an actual regular wrestling match without using any kind of plunder? And then literally like a minute later, it's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> they, they bring the tables out. They bring the cans out, and, and, it, and, it, and it turns into a mess. Um, the other bright spot in this match was the interaction that Disco and Alex Wright and even uh, the, the, the Asian mail-order groom, Tokyo Magnum um, – <laughs> that they had with the crowd because they're all clean cut, decent looking guys. And you got this 
group of bikers, 20,000 of them. They probably all got 200 teeth between all of them. You know, revving the engines and kind of going back and forth. And Disco and Alex actually got some decent heat on themselves in this clusterfuck of a match, enough to get the crowd engaged into, into it with them to eventually, when they did the big table spot, when Public Enemy put the, uh, one of them through the table and they won the match, the people actually gave a shit about Public Enemy because Disco and Alex Wright got them to hate them. And I felt like that was probably the only silver lining in this uh, in this match. But the pay per view didn't take a dip for me. But I was like, I, I was I was questioning the 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 strategy of the booking. All right, you gave us this this mishmash of a brawl in the first match. Then you give us another similar style match with this hardcore match and these brutes of of, of wrestlers known as the Public Enemy. Like I was waiting for like. What's next? Like, is there going to be another brawl? And then we were treated to another one in the triple threat match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and honestly, that was, you know, I'm glad, you know, that's what we call in the biz, a segue. Um, that's exactly what I thought watching, watching this, that um, now we have a Raven Rules match. Like, it, to me, it was like kind of like odd booking for these three matches, like to be three in a row kicking off the, the pay-per-view and, and I, 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 this match was what it was. I, I enjoyed it. it. It was fun. Um, I love in the beginning, like the pin can occur anywhere in Sturgis. <laughs> like, all right, they're going to wind up Sturgis in a convenience somewhere. You always um, want to see him hop bikes and just go down the road. <laughs> I'm going to put him over here now. Which did like, you know, open up that whole idea. Like it would have been cool if they did do something like that where they, they were down some like street somewhere in, in Sturges. But, um, you know, this, I mean, the one thing that, that struck me in this match while I was watching was, was honestly Saturn. Um, a guy that, that I kind of dug that kind of um, maybe just like uh, WCW, like seemed like his career kind of plummeted in a hurry. Um, and, and on, on Bruce Pritchard, uh, on his uh, on his podcast, he talked about how the WWE was high on Saturn, um, and, and I had kind of forgotten. Like I, I as as odd as the whole like Saturn saga kind of unfolded uh, towards the end of his career, um, you know, good worker, good look. Um, so I kind I thought this match was fun. I but I did find myself thinking as far as booking, it it was a weird place to have these three matches in a row, Dave. Yeah, it was. Um, I kind of dug this match. I mean, the Ravens rules thing, like, you know, it was just a, 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 a gimmick to kind of cater to to his his character. Um, I was a big Raven fan, and I thought that the Raven character didn't quite get his just due when he went to WWE, or even in WCW, too. I felt like there was a lot left on the table. Raven, to me, is like what, what the Internet thinks of how WWE handles Bray Wyatt's booking now currently that's how i felt about raven back then like there was a lot left on the table with him um did you notice that in these three matches these three brawls with the exception of that one table spot in the public enemy match there wasn't too much interaction outside on the floor in the ringside area near the bikers they they did a lot of their spots up towards that ramp in that staging area not near too many of those 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 fans you, you, you kind of get the, get my drift here is that like they, because they were in an environment that wasn't totally on board 100% with pro wrestling, I think that they kind of limited themselves in, in the storytelling and the psychology, especially 
in those three matches of what they could do with a brawl around the ringside area. Because it felt like to me in this third match, in the triple threat match, they did a couple of spots on the staging area. And then, like, I think it was, like, Saturn or Canyon or one of them, it almost looked like they no-sold whatever they did and then, like, ran back to the ring. It was almost like they were afraid they were going to get pelted by, like, a rock from, like, one of the bikers or something. Um, (laughs) It wasn't the greatest match, but it wasn't a terrible match either. And I kind of dug the Raven character at that time, and I wish he got his just due. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. But, uh, you know, third match in, we're looking at another brawl. And at this point, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm really going to trudge through another hour and a half of this just to get to Jay Leno wrestling Hulk Hogan? (laughs) Holy, holy shit now, Jesus. Yeah, it's definitely – it made you question the booking of this whole pay-per-view because, you know, the first match to me wasn't the greatest. The second match, a mess. This match – better than the other three, but you put them all together back to back. And then you're just like, wow, this is a lot to get through. Um, and I'm a fan, all three members of this match. I'm a, I was a fan of, uh, I was a Saturn fan, definitely a Raven fan, especially ECW time. I thought Canyon was good. And again, this match stepped it up a little bit from its uh, two previous ones. Uh, I still felt that the commentating wasn't on board. Like to me, it was, Almost as if the, you know, Shivani, Tanay, not so much brain, you know, brain, he's probably the freaking brain. He's going to throw his gold when he decides to throw his gold. And I will, I will take Bobby the brain on the commentating table any day of the week and twice on Sundays. But it, it up to this match, it almost seems to me like Shivani and Tanay do not respect any type of hardcore or brawl type wrestling match. Like it's almost as if they don't want to call it. Or they think it's, you know, they're making jokes and, and, and laughing. Whereas you, you would think that if it was maybe Gorilla or JR or someone like, they would emphasize the brutality of the match or, you know, lack of rules, whatever, what have you. But uh, it seems to me still, this is, this is the last match where I feel the commentators, the commentators were just not in it. And uh, the, the finish, you know, it was good. Saturn, hand-raising victory. Again, I was a Saturn fan. Great look. Uh, I felt they could have did more with him. But uh, the other thing that just tickled me as funny was the was Lodi with the whole, uh, like, Bob Dylan video card, you know, card gimmick, throwing cue cards all over the place. I thought that was funny. And then you had Horace Hogan out of nowhere with a stop sign. Horace Hogan. And it's interesting with that because, you know, and and it does bring up, you know, recently and and a little bit of sidebar, you know, when you talk about that hardcore style, and and I do think when you look at like pro wrestling and again, going back to that whole idea that things were better in yesteryear and um, to to a point that that also, I'm just going to quote Bruce Pritchard like all night, but, you know, Bruce Pritchard did speak on, uh, his podcast recently to do with Paul Heyman that um, as much as people will clamor for like ECW type matches to come back and all that other stuff, um, you know, he, he's like, that's the vocal minority. Mm-hmm. It's like the WWE is a, is a multi-billion dollar company. Now they're doing, they're doing it right. Like that's business. Like they're making money. They're doing it right. Uh, we're not going to bring back uh, a style 
from a company that went out of business. You know, that's, that's uh, Fair point. Uh, you know, and, and that makes sense. And you do, you do kind of find in the beginning of this pay-per-view is, you know, is, is it perception? Is it just kind of a, Hey, you know, that, that they didn't like that hardcore style, but um, it is something that, you know, it, it, it's interesting because to me, like that hardcore style uh, can work in spots. And I think that's part of the issue when I look back on ECW that, you know, I, I mean, what roof are you going to jump off of next? You went through 10 tables. You're going to go through 20 tables the next event. Like there, there comes a point where there's a ceiling. Like we can't do anything more hardcore. You know, I, I you know, how many pints of blood are you going to build? Are you going to bleed in a match? Um, and, and, and to me, like a hardcore match can work in a, in a blow off, in a grudge match in something where, you know, it's done every now and again. And maybe part of ECW's issue was that every match uh, had that kind of hardcore element. But what's intriguing to me is that this pay-per-view starts off with three in a row that kind of give you that brawling feeling. So it's kind of, if, if the commentators didn't like that hardcore style, uh, it's, it's weird to me why the powers that be would kick off this pay-per-view with, with three kind of brawling type matches. So, um, you wonder, you wonder if there was like, was there battles behind the scenes? Um, you know, the Tanae and Shivani not like this, this style of wrestling. Do they not like the guys? Do they not like the workers in these matches? Um, you know, as much as I don't think these matches were great matches, I don't think anyone really knocked it out of the ballpark, but there were spots that the commentating could have helped them with that I think for the most part, the commentators did, really did not help at all. And your thoughts on that, Dave? No, no I, don't think, I don't think the commentators did help much in, in some of these matches. But at the same time, going back after watching this and then remembering, you know, watching WCW itself at that time, um, I remember certain matches like those style of matches where, like, Bobby Heenan's commentary would be so funny that even if his comments were negative towards the match itself, it would still be entertaining enough where, to me, it didn't come across like he was trashing the match. And he would get the – I mean, there would be sometimes he'd say some stuff that he'd get the whole the, – the, the other two in the booth dying laughing and, and in stitches, and it would take away from the match, but it would still be entertaining at the same time. Um and I felt like it was a combination of Heenan trying to make light of what was on the television screen at the same time the other two commentators, and even him to a certain extent, weren't exactly putting over the match real well. Um, he was basically, I guess, and in, in, in some ways you could say, he was describing the shit that you were seeing in front of you on TV. But he was doing it in a funny way. Yeah, and, it's, and, you know, in all honesty, I mean, I know, you know, his, his moniker is the brain, but, um, I mean, Jesus, was was there a quicker wit ever <laughs> in, in the history of pro wrestling? I mean, um, quickest in, in, in the bunch. And, and Rock, I mean, you kind of hit upon it, and now, now we get through it. So now we're, we're through these three matches, and you kind of touched upon it that um, at this point you do kind of feel like as we get to Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis, um, for the number one contendership for the WCW Cruiserweight title, that it seemed like there was a bit of a shift with the commentating. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think uh, for the previous three matches, uh, and look, I, I'm not taking anything away from the abilities of Tanay. 
of Shivani, and certainly not Mr. Heenan, to uh, you know to be great commentators and commentate a show. But it, it seems to me, at least in my observation, that this is where it's almost like okay, now we're getting serious. Now we have talent in the ring that is going to put on one heck of a show. And to their credit, uh, you know, Mysterio and Psychosis, that's exactly what they went out and did. Uh, they, they put on one hell of a match, you know, one hell of a Lucha style match. And I know, I know Ken, that you're not uh, that big of a fan of the Lucha style, but uh, you know, I, I like, I like the smorgasbord of wrestling. I'll take a, you know, a little from column A, a little from column B, some from column C. And in this particular case, this match I thought was, you know, obviously uh, fast paced, high flying. You had, Ray Mysterio at the top of his game. Of course, he looked like a 14-year-old, but he was still <laughs> at the top of his game. And just the, the stuff that these guys came up with, uh, you know, for me, it was a very exciting match, and it really picked up the pace of the whole pay-per-view. And it's interesting because I, I don't – it's not that I don't like that style. I don't like that style being the only – I'm right there with you. I like the smorgasbord. I like the, the – give me a little bit of everything. And – the, the things I don't like is I don't like a top to bottom. If I, if you're going to give me one style that I have to sit through, then yeah, I, I would eliminate like the Lucha and I would just watch guys beating the hell out of each other. If I was only going to watch one style, um, I like the cruiserweight style where the cruiserweight should be. Um, and that's no disrespect to the guys who, who wrestle cruiserweight. I just don't like dig when they move cruiserweights up to that heavyweight championship uh, stratosphere, and you're supposed to make me believe that Rey Mysterio could could beat uh, Kevin Nash. You know, like that. That's where I get to like now. Now the believability is gone for me, and that's where I have a problem with with the evolution of, of pro wrestling and how that uh, you know that they they kind of throw out weight classes, and it's just yeah, like a guy who's like you know 180 pounds soaking wet, sure he could beat a guy who's 300 pounds. Makes complete sense. And that's what kind of bugs me. But to me, when WCW was running at their best, um, I thought they they hit the nail on the head, maybe better than the WWE ever did, as far as giving you a little bit of everything. And I, even now, when I go to, like, one of my favorite independent promotions to go to is, is House of Hardcore, because I think Tommy Dreamer is is maybe the best independent booker in the business, if not the best booker right now, because he gives you a little bit of everything. And, and I, I always liked when WCW was running well, you had, you had your Lucha guys, you had your cruiserweights, you had your guys that would, that would give you those, those these athletic spot fests. But then you have, like, some of your bigger guys in, 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 in the mid-card, and you have, like, your television title. And, and, and then you'd have, like, you know, you'd have your big main event guys. You'd have guys like Hogan and – and Goldberg and Hall and Nash and all those guys around that main event picture. And when, when WCW was going well, I felt like as a wrestling fan, there were whatever you wanted. There were guys who could talk. There were guys who could give you spots. There were guys that would beat the shit out of each other. There were guys with the names that you wanted to see in the main event picture. They, each belt had a decent picture and rivalry going on. And, and when WCW was really kind of running – like that ship where they were just beating the WWE week in and week out, I thought they did a really nice job with the cruiserweights. Those cruiserweights, we a lot of times they would open pay-per-views and they would get the crowd going. Oh yeah. And I think right now in this pay-per-view, um, 
they don't open with it, but I think it's it's a match that kind of at least gets that pay per view going, gets you gets you feeling a little bit better. Right. You feel a little bit bit better. This is a uh, you know you said Rey Mysterio, um, if not his prime, close to it. Uh, you know, good chemistry with with a guy like Psychosis. Uh, there's a point to the match. Number one contendership for the cruiserweight title. The cruiserweight title mattered. Um, there was a nice picture surrounding it. So. To me right now, for a guy who I'm not going to jump and say, like, I'm in love with, obviously, it's not my favorite style, but to me, this was the match, I, I agree with you, this kind of got the pay-per-view going and kind of was like, huh, all right, all right, and and kind of got my memory going where, yeah, WCW did do a really nice job with the Cruiserweight division, Dave. Yeah, they did. Uh, they, they made it important, and... Like both of you, I'm a big smorgasbord wrestling fan, a little bit of everything. I like the heavyweights, like the like the women, like the cruiserweights, tag team. I like, you know, it's a variety show for me. I love it. And WCW, I think, probably were the best at giving you a good variety of wrestling, and the cruiserweights especially. Um, they were doing that before, you know, WWE obviously was doing that. And uh, this match, if you were not a fan of cruiserweight wrestling after watching those three shit show matches before – you definitely were when when this match was over because it definitely got the people into it. You know, the, definitely me as a viewer watching it, I was like, oh, it's a pretty good match. And I had forgotten that you know at the time of, and and we'll touch upon it later in the in the cruiserweight title match. But you know, Mysterio had been had been out with an injury for a little while. He came back a month prior for this match, but you know, he had still he was still on the uh, you know basically the, the, the top dog in the cruiserweight division, and he still had some unfinished business with Jericho, uh, which we'll get into later. Um, so getting his title, title opportunity by beating Psychosis, you know, it, it made sense. The story, you know, story made sense, and overall I just thought the match was very well done, and it definitely broke, gave the pay-per-view a chance. If, if, if you turned it off as a viewer in 98 watching it after those three matches, you definitely shouldn't have because this match definitely brought people back into it. Yeah, agreed. And again, like, you know, to me, the thing with the cruise, like, look, main event guys are our main event guys are main event guys are main event guys. You know what I mean? Like, and, but there are, there are other guys that it's, it's not just using them. It's how you use them. And, and WCW to me did a nice job with, with the cruiserweights for, uh, a lot of their tenure. And for me, like, again, if I, if I was going to eliminate, if you're going to tell me I can only watch one style, I would just want to watch like the bigger guys beat the hell out of each other. So for a guy who's, that's not going to be the style I'm going to jump to WCW made me a fan of that. I was, I was into the cruiserweights when, when nitro and, and WCW were, were at their finest. Like they did a nice job with the cruiserweights. So we're finally, we're, we get, we're picking up here. We pick up a little bit. Which leads us to Mongo. Mongo like candy. Steve <laughs> Mongo McMichael versus Brian Adams with Vincent in his corner. Oh, but wait a minute. So, so are, are we even going to glaze? We're just going to glaze over the Stevie Ray Calgary. I, I, I totally get this. We, we, we could have. Like... We could have, really. There would have there been no loss in this. <laughs> Let's, I, you know what, and I, I, it's amazing. It's right in front of me, and I just happened to, I think I just was Jones to say, Mungo, like candy. <laughs> but let, let's, let's rewind a little bit. And we go to Stevie Ray, who is the champion in a singles match 
with Chavo Guerrero, hobby horse in hand, for the WCW World Television Championship. Dave, your thoughts. Huh. <laughs> you really want my thoughts, my true thoughts <laughs> on this on this on this masterpiece? And we just talked about how this match kind of boosted the pay per view, and then all of a sudden they gave you this. Stevie Ray and Chavo Guerrero. Um, it was what it was. It was a comedy match. I don't know why it was placed on the card. It felt like a segment on Nitro, but it was a comedy match, and it is. It, it was what it was. I mean, at the time, Stevie Ray was trying to break out of the shadow of Booker T um, because Booker T was clearly going to go on to bigger and better things in a singles career, and I think they wanted to develop some kind of personality and do something with Stevie Ray. He eventually joined the NWO. Didn't do much there, but... He joined the NWO. Um, he added, you know, some 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 life to his character in WCW. And Chavo, Chavo, you know, was basically a mechanic on the card at the time that was associated with his uncle, an established veteran wrestler, Eddie Guerrero. And they wanted to give him some kind of personality too. And I felt like both neither one of these guys really benefited from this. Um, the television championship certainly didn't. And I, I do remember going back watching this match earlier this week, saying to myself, "Damn, this is where the TV title really kind of lost its luster." Because I remember growing up as a kid, you know, the television title was a very important title. It main evented a lot of the WCW programming um, on TV weekly. You know, guys like Steve Austin, Larry Zbyszko, Dustin Rhodes, Arn Anderson, Ricky Steamboat, William Regal. You know, you know, credible names held that championship and then it was in the hands of Chavo Guerrero and Stevie Ray I was like wow how far did that TV championship drop overall like I said it was a comedy match it felt like a segment it wasn't really much of a match to begin with it was what it was and and, and I, to me like it did like it is a comedy match and, and I get it like and I've been a fan of, of you know comedy stuff over the years in, in pro wrestling however it is something as we talk about the booking of this this match this event, and we we do discuss how you know is this are we in the midst of the beginning of the end for WCW that we we look at at a pay per view now that um, doesn't really start off strong. Um, all of us here on this on this panel, I'm calling us a panel. That all of us here, you know, different different degrees of our feelings on those first three matches, but. Um, we're all kind of in, a, in agreement that it, it's not starting off strong with those three matches. Some questionable booking at best. They give us Rey Mysterio and Psychosis that you kind of feel like, all right, here we go. And as far as booking, you have three brawls. You give us an athletic clinic. And then you decide, hey, let's let's stick the comedy stuff in right there with the television title. Um, Again, I've never booked, not saying I'm an expert as a fan and my limited knowledge of booking. I'm scratching my head. Yeah. I, I just didn't know what to make of this whole segment. And let's face it. That's what it was. It was a segment. It wasn't even a match, Uh, which kind of really disappoints me because I don't remember the storylines at the time, but at least a gist of what I remember and what I gleaned from, what they were talking about. It seemed to me that Stevie Ray just declared himself the TV champion and, and Chavo was saying, no, he's the champion. He's got paperwork to prove it. And you know what, whatever the storyline is fine. The storyline is a storyline, but 
at the end of the day, you have two guys that can go. It's not like, you know, it's not like either of them at that point are tremendously green. You know, I'm not saying they have to put on a half an hour, you know, Iron Man match for the TV title, but make it more than Hoovy, I mean, uh, Chavo running around trying to get out of Booker, I mean, uh, Stevie Ray's reach. I, I'm, I'm throwing names in there that <laughs> anything that can help them. This match, well, well, not even a match. Again, you know, you have Chavo running around and eventually Stevie Ray catching him. But you can tell that story, but tell it in the context of a match. Don't make it just one big chase. Uh, it's really and uh, like we've all said after that clinic that Mysterio and Psychosis put on, to put this here, it just leaves you, you know, wondering what the hell were they thinking. And it does. You start to look at this company, and you look at you know um, who you know who is pulling strings, who is doing what, uh, who is conflicting with what behind the scenes, the hubris that could be involved here. But um, you know, and, and even if look, these you're right. These guys weren't too old, and they weren't green, so they could. You you look at these two guys in this matchup. You, you know, you you look at a Stevie Ray, um, you look at a Chavo Guerrero. They could have given you more. Um, but on the flip side, if you want to just go strict comedy, I would have booked it at a different place on the card. I, I just wouldn't have booked it here. Um, now, now, granted, you know, you're booking a show. You don't necessarily book it with like, all right, let's book three shitty matches to start. Then we'll give you something good. Then we'll give you something shitty. I get that, but that's not like what they're thinking. They're thinking everything is going to be sure good or at least decent. Um, However, like we've talked about, you're giving us three brawls, um, lots of stuff going on outside the ring, but like, you know, that stuff could have been spread out over the card, but they give us those three to start off. With cookie sheets of doom. (laughs) And then they give us, you know, a a match we could really sink our teeth into as as wrestling fans, and then here comes the hobby horse. So you, you do start to wonder, all right, like, where is the brain trust? What's going on here? Um... Has this pay-per-view been bad up until this point? No. Has it been great? No. So what happens from this point on? Can Road Wild 98 redeem itself over the latter half of the pay-per-view? Does Jay Leno steal the show? We'll get into all of that after the break. But right now, it's time for the Day 5 50-50 News Report. Good evening, and welcome to the Day 5 50-50 News Report. Only heard at the top of the hour right here at the Ken Reedy Show, the best in pro wrestling talk. Now, before I get into this week's top stories, don't forget to follow B-Plus Players Radio, where you can find this very show each and every week. Catch the replay of our live Sunday shows, dropping at roughly 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, maybe 10 o'clock, depending on when Mark Adam Agerty decides to get around to it. Speaking of which, he's the brainchild of B-Plus Players Radio, and he also hosts his very own show, The Outsider's Edge, on that very network. There's more original content that's being added to B-Plus seemingly every day, making B-Plus Players Radio the place to get your fix on pro wrestling podcast talk. You don't want to be left out in the cold, so please do it for me. Subscribe right now. And with that being said, here's this week's top stories. This week starts off with a huge story regarding the future of Brock Lesnar. 
according to SportsKita.com, CagesideSeats.com, and several other wrestling media outlets. Brock Lesnar may be headed back to the UFC once his WWE contract expires next spring. According to other wrestling media outlets, Paul Heyman has pitched an idea to WWE creative to have Brock Lesnar drop the Universal Championship to Samoa Joe at SummerSlam in order to prepare for a fight against John Bones Jones, who just so happened to have publicly called out the Beast after his most recent victory over Daniel Cormier at the most recent UFC pay-per-view event. The Wrestling Observer is reporting that the finish to this match at SummerSlam is being kept under wraps with the production team, the writing staff, and the other three talents in the match. And the only person who knows the finish is Brock Lesnar himself, as it is, as it is stipulated in his contract. Speculation is that this mega fight with Jones is likely to take place, but only after Lesnar's WWE contract expires. You see, Lesnar will have to re-enter the USA DA drug testing pool in order to qualify for a return to MMA. While being entered in the testing pool, Lesnar will have to undergo a series of random drug tests and all come back clean while serving the remainder of his one-year suspension for violating the drug testing policy during his 2016 UFC bout against Mark Hunt. Lesnar retired from MMA in the middle of his suspension, thus putting his suspension on hold. Once all of that is out of the way, the earliest he can fight Jones is in the spring or summer of 2018. WWE will not allow Lesnar to take time off in the middle of WrestleMania season to prepare for a Jones fight and potentially risk injury before the biggest show of the year. Regardless of all of this, Lesnar is still advertised for next month's No Mercy pay-per-view event in Los Angeles. Our second story this week, the Hardy Anthem Saga has added another twist as trademark attorneys have been assigned to both Global Force Wrestling and WWE regarding the use of the broken intellectual property. Allegedly, WWE filed for the broken trademark recently and was denied by the United States Patent and Trademark Offices. The company's application was denied due to the confusion over the broken Matt Hardy IP application that Matt had filed for himself recently. The situation happened in similar fashion when Global Force Wrestling also applied for the trademark. Once Matt's application process is finalized, then all other inquiries by WWE and GFW will be addressed. We talked about him here on our throwback show. In a recent update, the future of one Rey Mysterio looks to be headed in the direction of Global Force Wrestling. PW Insider reports that WWE has allegedly passed on working with Ray due to his association with Conan. Apparently, there is some bad blood between both Conan and Vince over business stemming back to the 90s. When Vince and WWE invested money into the Max Moon character Conan was portraying, only for him to walk out of the company early in his run. Conan went public on his MLW radio podcast stating that he was never representing Ray during the discussions with WWE, and if there was a problem with his representation, he would have let Ray handle his business on his own. Conan's statements also back up the recent reports that Ray's talks with WWE were blown out of proportion, and there wasn't much to come from that story because talks between both sides weren't really serious. Mysterio also has other outside projects that will not allow him to participate in a full-time WWE schedule, so it's highly unlikely at this time he would entertain a run with the company. Reportedly, GFW has a big money offer on the table for Mysterio that may accommodate more to him and his schedule, which would allow him to work on his other projects. WWE is in the process of trying to obtain their $30 million profit goal for 2017, and by doing so, there's been cuts made across the board, but mainly in regards to the WWE Network. A second season of the Edge and Christian show, a potential R-Truth game show, that's even really true, 
Renee Young's Unfiltered, NXT Insider with Kathy Kelly, and the UK Weekly Television Show are currently on the list of shows that have been cut. Edge and Christian revealed the news of their show canceling on their very own podcast recently. The UK show has been up in the air for quite some time, as tapings were set to begin earlier this summer but never got off the ground. UK talents Tyler Bate, Trent Seven, Wolfgang, Mark Andrews, WWE UK champ Pete Dunne are all under contract to the company and look to begin a run in NXT, potentially starting SummerSlam weekend at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. And in my final story this week, the UFC female competitor and a pioneer in, MMA, in women's MMA, Ronda Rousey, is reportedly undergoing the early stages of professional wrestling training. Fightful.com is reporting that Rousey has expressed interest in a pro wrestling run and is allegedly training with 205 Live star Brian Kendrick at his wrestling school in Southern California. Rousey, along with her fellow MMA Four Horsewomen, were in attendance at last month's May Young Classic tournament tapings. The trio was sitting front row showing support for their fellow four horsewoman and former MMA fighter Shayna Baszler, who was involved in the tournament. While in attendance, Rousey and the rest of her four horsewomen had a stare down with WWE's own four horsewomen of Charlotte, Bailey, and Becky Lynch, which caused a stir in the wrestling world all over social media. Speculation has run amok in the last several years of Rousey's potential future in WWE once her career in MMA is finished. According to Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer, Rousey is rumored to be appearing at the May Young Classic live finale from Las Vegas, Nevada on Tuesday, September 12th, which could potentially set up an MMA Four Horsewomen versus WWE Four Horsewomen match at either Survivor Series or WrestleMania 34 next year, according to Meltzer's sources within WWE. While speaking to the In This Corner podcast, Triple H denied any further talks between WWE and Ronda Rousey. It should also be mentioned, despite the conflicting reports, this potential dream match may not take place, as Bailey is out with a shoulder injury for an indefinite amount of time. Stay tuned for more on this developing story. And for you wrestling fans who listen to this fine podcast, do you have a lucky individual in your life that currently doesn't know it? Do they know you're a passionate wrestling fan, but they have a hard time making the decision to take the plunge and go on a date with you? Well, folks, wait no longer, as I've got a solution. Door Decor the one-stop shop for all your custom home decor needs. If you're looking to impress this special someone, then look no further than Door Decor. Custom wreaths, signs, or any other home decor could add personality to one's humble abode. Not sure what you're looking for? Or do you have a special theme in mind, maybe a pro wrestling theme? Then reach out to Nicole on Facebook, at Door Decor by Nicole, or at her Etsy store at Decor Door Boutique. She'll be able to help design and create the perfect piece to hang in your home for that special someone. Here's your chance to finally get laid and still maintain your pro wrestling fandom with Door Decor. And there you have it, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Day 5 50-50 News Report. Next week's Day 5 will be taking a brief hiatus as I'll present a special two-part pay-per-view throwback titled SummerSlam by the Numbers. Now let's continue this pro wrestling field trip back to Sturgis, South Dakota. We send it back to the boys. Rocky, Ken, take it away. Good stuff there. Very informative. And, and hitting like the four horse women, let's talk about the four horsemen. Four horsemen. Mungo like candy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I purposely like screwed up the order of matches just so I could say that again. You wanted to say that twice, didn't you? Mungo only pawn in Game, in game of Life. 
Brings us to Steve Mongo McMichael versus Brian Adams. Not the Brian Adams. It was yeah. not the summer of 69. No, no. Everything he did was definitely not for him. With with Vincent in his corner. Rocky, what do you think about this match? Uh, again, um, this was a, a, another, in my opinion, another rough match to watch. Uh, and the thing is, I am uh, I am a Brian Adams fan. Uh, the wrestler, not so much the musical artist. Uh, I enjoyed him in WWE when he was Crush. Uh, comes to the WCW, now he's Brian Adams. Uh, and then you have uh, Mongo McMichael, who, in my estimation, was definitely showing off his uh, his particular shade of green uh, in this match. Uh, like, I, I perfectly understand, obviously, on the gridiron, he was uh, he was a star. He, he, he did his time on the football field, but it, to me... At least looking at this match, and I know it wasn't his first match, it kind of could have been the way it looked, but uh, it just, he wasn't ready yet. He needed a little bit more polish. I understand that he's not, again, this, these are two big men going at it, and it's supposed to look ugly, but this was just, uh, it, it was just bad. It wasn't enjoyable to me at all. I, I, I watched it and I kind of felt sorry for these guys. And then the ending, you know, the ending with Virgil in the chair and the timing being off being what it was, was like, Oh God, thank you. You know, I know it's a rough ending to watch, but at least it's an ending and we're moving <laughs> on, moving on to bigger and better things. Uh, you know, I, I really don't want to continue. I don't want to bash these guys too much because I, like I said, I am a Brian Adams, you know, crush fan. Uh, Mongo McMichael, not so familiar with his work, but watching this match, it was just a rough go. I agree with you. And, and this is like a pay-per-view that, um, you know, to, to use kind of the, the, the car analogy, it just seems like, you know, you kind of, you think the car is going to start and then it just kind of stalls out on you, you know, right? Yeah, I should say motorcycles and all the bikes, <laughs> but like, it kind of has that feel. It's a, you know, as much as outside, like use the metaphor, it's a cold winter day. You put the key in the ignition, you know, and then like, you know, you got Mysterio and Psychos, like, he starts tapping on the gas, like, all right, all right, the car's running, and you go to put that car in reverse to move out of your driveway, and it stalls again, (laughs) and then you try and start it up again, and you got Stevie Ray and Chavo, you got Mongo and and Brian Adams, it's kind of like, are we ever? going to get any like real clear-cut momentum. Dave, your thoughts on this match? Rocky, you said this match was ugly. I'll get one better. It was too ugly. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was. It truly was. Um, I, I didn't have any expectations for this match. I wasn't let down, but I wasn't surprised at the way it was presented. Um, I, I kind of dug Mongo McMichael as a wrestler, not for his ability, but for his charisma. Son of a bitch could talk, you know. I mean, he wasn't the greatest in-ring worker, but he he had a personality to him. And I'll never forget this, and you guys may – maybe you remember this, maybe you don't, but 
Steve McMichael was in Lawrence Taylor's corner at WrestleMania 11 against Bam Bam Bigelow. He was one of those, like, 12 football players that surrounded the ring. And weeks leading up to that match, Mongo made an appearance on Raw, and he had a brawl at ringside with Kama, who would end up becoming the godfather, who was a part of Ted DiBiase's Million Dollar Corporation. And as a kid, I remember watching it, I thought, like, it almost was – it kind of turned into a real fight that maybe they got a little too rough with each other. And when Mongo became a pro wrestler, I was like, well, he seemed like a believable guy that could step in the ring. He was a big dude. He could talk. And he, he was no nonsense. You're not expecting him to jump off the top rope and do a plancha and a 450 splash through three flaming tables. But you expected him to at least, you know, bring it on the physicality level. And he certainly did. Um, but this match was just bad. Two, two guys that shouldn't have been in the ring with each other. Um, and here's another thing that I took from this watching this. You know, Brian Adams brought Virgil, Vincent, whatever you want to call him. You know, you, people remember Virgil for being Ted DiBiase's bodyguard, the million-dollar man, okay? They brought Virgil in, and they renamed him Vincent, and he was kind of like DiBiase's bodyguard again in the NWO. He came out, and he'd protect Bischoff at times. But what kind of a bodyguard is he when three-quarters of the fucking NWO are bigger and stronger and, and more smarter than him? Like, I never understood why they still portrayed him as, like, they need to bring him out with the rest of the NWO. Like, to me, I thought he was useless and he, uh, in the NWO. And I just, looking back on when I watched it, I was like, they made references to him being, like, you know, a, a, a bodyguard and having a background. I'm like, what kind of, did you expect a viewer to really believe that his character was once a bodyguard for another wrestler? I mean, that's, maybe I'm going off on a tangent here, but that's what I took from this match. It fucking sucked. <laughs> but you're, I mean, it's a good point, though. And and, and like, Vincent never gave you Virgil Vincent. Where you? I mean, it was great. The WWE like, let's get a rich white guy and give him a black man servant, and like, and in the wrestling world, like everyone's cool with that. But you're right. Like, but Vincent Virgil, whoever, never gave you. Like, it was never like all of a sudden he he out of nowhere had this like you know kung fu flurry. That's like, all right, he's a smaller guy, but. Wow, he could kick the shit out of something. You know, there was nothing about that character. So you're right. So they portray him as a, so he's a bodyguard in a match with two guys who are twice his size. He's a walking beat shield. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, honestly, I, just to interject to Dave's point, that the one plus I will give, and it's a very small plus, but I can agree with Dave that uh, Mongo did have a personality because. About the only time he really got a reaction from the crowd was actually when he went to the crowd and got and he actually hooked him for those you know two seconds that he wasn't moving. As soon as he started moving, forget it, he lost it. But when he was talking, he actually engaged them. Mungo likes sharp part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, and there's a question, you know, and it's interesting with with the four horsemen when you think about you know, and people go, people love to go to to Paul Roma. Is is Steve McMichael the worst? Uh, wrestler to ever be able to call himself a horseman? It's a fair uh, If you plug his name in there, I'm not exactly going to argue too hard against you. You know, look, the the, the man was, yeah, he's up there. He The man was big. He was physical. Uh, he was imposing. But uh, as a, you know, as soon as he started moving, <laughs> I was like, oh, God, Oh no, he's starting to move again. <laughs> Please, I heard a story. Honestly, like when you think about it, like Steve Mongo McMichael would have been someone to put in the Virgil role. 
Here's the truth. Someone that could follow someone down and just be a bodyguard and not have to do too much. And, and he had a little bit of personality. So, like, don't make him a, an actual worker. Just make him a bodyguard. That probably would have worked better than, than Vincent. <laughs> That's a very good I, point. I, I, I never even thought of that angle, but very true. See that? I watched this. I, I watched the Ric Flair shoot interview once, and Flair in the shoot interview, they talked about the time when Mongo was in the Horseman. And originally, Steve McMichael was never, um, they never thought about using him as a performer. He was basically going to be a, a color commentator on Monday Nitro with, with Bischoff and Bobby Heenan. And Flair liked him so much as a personality that when they did that, that, that storyline where it was the Horsemen against uh, Mongo and Kevin Green. Like Flair was the one that pitched the idea to have Mongo join the Horsemen because he was like his best drinking buddy, like on the road. Like they hung out together, they got drunk together, they chased women together, and they did all kinds of crazy stuff. And he thought Mongo was the greatest thing in the world, and that's the reason why he was in the Horsemen because he just loved being around him. Then he must have made a suggestion while stinking drunk. That's the only conclusion. Yeah. I got an idea. Woo! Why don't we just and with the Mongo? Woo! As a horseman. Sure thing, Rick. Whatever you want. Style and profile yourself to the toilet. Anyway, the last time I saw you wrestle, you were in the ring with someone named Who Been Tood. <laughs> And here we have it. As the engine starts to rev up, we got it. We got ignition. As we look at Juventud Guerrero versus Chris Jericho, WCW Cruiserweight Championship, Dean Malenko as your special guest referee. A lot of talent in that ring. To me, like Chris Jericho looked amazing in this. Uh, you know, really athletically, uh, Maybe close to his best. Um, maybe not as a personality, but he was getting there. He was starting to – I mean, Jericho's a bright guy, and I love watching how he has found himself over the years and evolved as a character and worked. Shows up wearing a kimono, um, <laughs> just, just working it, working the gimmick, but can deliver athletically. And, again, going back to WCW, we're talking cruiserweights. So right now – I mean, we're, we've talked about matches, and, and there are certain matches that, you know, we're not totally 100% in agreement with, with certain matches. Some, but I don't think any of us are looking at any five-star matches so far in this pay-per-view except the Cruiserweights. So at this point in time, when you get through this matchup, as we're staring down now, we're getting close to those main events. We're getting the WCW Championship, the big tag team match, they're on the horizon. At this point, when you get through this matchup, the cruiserweights are carrying this pay-per-view. No, it's a very good point. You know, it, this match, uh, it was fun to see uh, Chris Jericho in his younger years. And like you said, he, was, he wasn't fully developed yet, uh, you know, character-wise and even, uh, even working-wise. But... That being said, he still engaged the crowd, and he still got those guys to rev, the, rev their engines before the bell even rang. He was on the crowd like white on rice. It was it was fun to see. And then the work rate of both of these guys, they really went at it. The, the addition of Malenko 
tied it all together. You know, Malenko played his role. He played it great. Uh, you know, w- just when you think the pay-per-view was going off the precipice, d- just when you think the wheels were about to fall off, this is the match that grabs firmly grabs hold and just yanks it all back in and says, no, no, we're not done yet. And again, for me as a, as a guy who like, that's not the style I'm, I'm gravitating to, uh, both these cruiserweight matches drew me back in. Uh, again, whether you want to say certain matches were awful, they were pretty good, whatever, but there, there weren't a lot of great matches here. These cruiserweight matches are, are definitely holding your interest and, and goes back to my point. I, I think WCW um, may be better than any other company ever. Uh, did just a really good job with their with their cruisers, and they had a lot of talent. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not just the booking; it's it's the talent and and where that talent was in their career. Um, but Dave, this is this is a real good matchup right here. This was a really good match, and this was the period in time where Jericho was just starting to develop a personality. Going back and watching this, I remember this was a seven or eight month angle that where Jared had Jared Jericho had basically torn down the cruiserweight division. You know, he had humiliated Dean Malenko months prior. That's why Malenko was in the spot as the referee. He had injured Rey Mysterio and embarrassed him, and Mysterio came back to get the title shot he'll eventually get at Jericho at a later date. He unmasked Juventud Guerrera, um, you know, at the Super Brawl pay-per-view earlier in that year. Jericho was doing all that while he was developing this, this personality because before – when Jericho was hired by WCW, he was hired to be a mechanic on the card and be one of those guys that could excite the crowd and get the crowd pumped up in the cruiserweight division, but they didn't really see him going past a certain level. Jericho took it upon himself to develop this personality and really become, you know, if, if people were watching WCW for the NWO, they were staying tuned in to watch a guy like Jericho and the cruiserweights because of the in-ring action and what that brought to the product. Um, I thought this was a great match. I thought the story was, that was told you know, was, was really well done. Like Rocky said, Jericho had the, 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 the bikers revving up the bikes uh, before the bell even rang. And I remember at one point Mike Tanay said, can we get these guys to do it every week to drown him out? Um, I thought it was really well done on Jericho's part, the heat that he had. Um, the story with Malenko, like I said, he embarrassed Malenko for months on end, and uh, Malenko was the guest referee. You kind of have an idea he would eventually screw Jericho, but um, I liked at one point, there was one point in time where Malenko was slow counting for Hoovy, and Tony Schiavone brought it up. And I found that interesting because, you know, Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay were the babyface announcers, and usually they don't necessarily stick up for something that takes place uh, negatively towards the heel, and Tony Schiavone kind of spoke up about Malenko's count, um, you know, to, towards Hoovy, and and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but overall, good match, picked the crowd up, and it was definitely a well built out storyline that had a good payoff for for a show that we've been talking about for the last hour and a half now that is probably regarded as a dud of a, of a show in terms of match quality. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting point you bring up with uh, Mike Tanay talking about the count, because I, I, we've talked about it in previous matches, how the, the commentary can really add or subtract here. You, the commentary of that particular point, because 
ever since Tanae points it out, they make it a point to like observe every count after that. And it engages you in the match more because now your interest is like, is, you know, is Malenko favoring one over the other? Now I have to pay attention. It, it draws you in. It's just, it's a plus to the match in getting people invested in it. And it, to me, it's the difference between the commentary on the, like the first half of the card and, and, and the two cruiserweight matches, which obviously were higher quality matches than the rest of what we've seen so far. And, and, and yeah, and that's like everything's working now. So everything's working here. The, the, the guys are working, the, the workers are, are doing their thing. Um, the storytelling's happening, and, and the commentators are helping to facilitate that as we get set for, I mean, I, I don't like the idea. The main event's the last match. I've never been a big fan of the double main event, but let's call it a double main event. So we got the WCW title on the line in a battle royal, and then the big tag team match coming up after Chris Jericho and Hooventude get the crowd all psyched up. As we move towards the end of this pay-per-view, as we get to these double main event, let's go out to the phones. We got, from BBWF Wrestling, Icon, Dan Ram on the line. Dan, how you doing this evening? Oh, Mr. Reedy, how are you tonight? Doing all right. What's up, man? Now I just figured I'd give a call in, man, see how you guys are doing. Uh, I, uh, I'm only getting snaps from Michelle and no snaps from you, so I figured you must be actually doing some work this evening. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. We're doing the show, talking about uh, you know, I know you go back as a wrestling fan. We're talking uh, Road Wild, nineteen ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. Wait, so that was um, oh god, that was a. I know you mentioned it was a main event tag match. That wasn't the one with Hogan and um, oh god, refreshing. Well, that wasn't the Jay Leno one, was it? That that indeed it was. <laughs> really? Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's, I, do, I do go. I only go way back anymore. I haven't watched a lot of the product currently in such a long time. I, I only watched. I, that's why I got the network. I only watch the older stuff because the new stuff just doesn't. It doesn't do it for me like like it did back in the day, man. It really doesn't. Well, let me ask you. I mean, were you when when back in the day, like during the '90s, were you um, were you WCW guy? Or did you were you one of those guys with the remote control that was flipping back and forth? Like, what was your favorite thing going on in the '90s? Um, I was actually, I mean, I, I was a big, um, I was a big stunning Steve guy in the, back in the day. And so when he got over to the WWE, I, I really started to follow him more, but forever I've been a Hogan guy. And I always thought that WCW was just really at the time, just kind of recreating everything Hogan had done with the fighting off the monsters, the feud with savages and flair and all that stuff. When he joined the NWO, I was like, wow. Like, I, for one, at first I was like, Hogan, you, you asshole. But then I'm like, this is probably the greatest thing that's ever, that's ever happened to professional wrestling. Like, I mean, and I always make the joke because when I was in school. No, no, I reserved that for you, Cash. Don't think I didn't hear that. No, um, I actually, I was actually um, a huge Hulkamaniac as a kid. But, I mean, I was just talking like, Nine years old, so I was like 84, 85 around there. So he wearing a Hulkamania shirt to school, didn't go over too well. But now all these people, when Hogan turns heel, all these same kids used to bust my balls about watching wrestling. They're all walking around in NWO shirts, and all of a sudden wrestling's cool again. I'm like, you know, this is all, this is all Hogan. See, you can thank him for it. So, yeah, I was the guy. I liked Nitro. I loved the feel of it. I think back in the day, I think what killed Nitro at the time 
was kind of what also killed Raw now. It's three hours or whatever it was when it became, or two hours. It was just, it was, everything was just so long. It was just so drug out that the pay-per-views, I don't think, were as good as the Nitro episode sometimes. That's, that was my take on it. I'm curious for you as, as a guy who, like, you know, involved in wrestling right now, like involved in the independent scene, is there any pointers, like, when you look back, like both positive and negative, where you look at, you know, when Nitro was good, how they booked things, when it wasn't good, how things were booked, and kind of uh, when, when, you, when you look at DBWF and, and you put together shows, like, do you, ever, do you ever look for, like, lessons? And like you said, you watch, like, some of the old stuff. Like, do you, do you catch the old stuff and try and figure out, all right, this worked, this worked, uh, and, and almost use it as, like a, like, a teaching tool almost? Yeah, I absolutely do. I can be honest in saying that um, a lot of the things that I'm pretty sure WCW dealt with at the time was a lot of the things that I deal with as a promoter, too. You, you, got, you got a lot of guys that become your friends. And they all want to get booked, and then they want to, you know, have control over their angles. And you got to bring in this one. Oh, you got to bring in this one. You know how many times a day I hear somebody say to me, "We got to bring in this one. We got to bring in this one." Well, people forget if we're going to bring on this guy, that means somebody else is not going to be used. And sooner or later, you're so packed with talent that you're like, one, you look at the bill, and you're like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. Two, I mean, in, a lot of times in promoting. I love all these guys to death, but a lot of times the, the men are worse than the women. They, they, are, they are literally bickering over every last little thing like it's a high school battle and everybody wants a spot and everybody's in your ear and everybody wants control. And, that, and it's, it's, a hard, it's, a hard, um, uh, it's a hard thing to, to combat sometimes, but that's how WCW was. I mean, a lot of these guys had control over whatever they wanted to do. Nowadays, you know, people put up, they, they're more concerned about their character, like on, the, on a particular show or what they're doing or this and that, than they are an actual, the match. And I think a lot of that too is, it's, you saw that back in the day, backstage, there was so many backstage politics, so much bullshit, for lack of a better term, you know, and it, it does, it happens today. So nowadays I tried, I, I've learned my lessons. You know, personally, I've learned my lessons that you got to, you got to book the show, and you got to do it as a business aspect, not as a friendship aspect. And you got to say, look, this is what we're doing. You know, these are the guys that are hardworking, that show up, that want to be a part of this, as opposed to the guys who just want a payday. And they don't really care about your product or your show. And it's, some decisions you make are not the most popular ones, but you got to, you have to make the hard decisions if they're the right ones. That's what I've learned over time. And it's interesting because I think you kind of bring up a, an interesting point where, you know, the WCW stuff, when you look back on it, it was, you know, the inmates running the asylum and, and you bring yep. up like, you know, the, that creative control. And then when you look at the WWE, it all began and ended with Vince and the WWE yep. wound up surviving and WCW went under. And it's not to say in the WWE workers didn't have their ideas on their characters or where they wanted to go, but it all began and ended with Vince and Vince had the last go ahead, go uh, say so. Whereas with WCW, uh, everyone kind of had a little bit of power. And that's, that's interesting. Yep. That it's almost like listening to you and how you're looking at uh, booking and, and putting together shows. It's almost like you've shifted from having almost a WCW mindset to thinking I'm, I'm going to be a little bit, I'm going to be a little more McMahon-y at this point. 
You, you have to be because if you want to do long term, it's like you know, I, I mean, you guys have been both in the locker room. You guys have been with me since you know shortly after we came back, and you've seen so many transitions of the company where. You know, we've had packed locker rooms, and I'm pretty sure at times some people probably looked at it like, how are we affording all this talent? Like, and, and at the end of the day, here's what I love these guys to death, and they're all great, talented wrestlers. But from a promoter standpoint, you care about how many people are paying to come see the show. And at the end of the day, a lot, you bring in a lot of great talent, but they're not plugging your show, and they're not promoting your show, and they're not making you a priority like some of the other bigger indie companies that are out there. And I know I'm not on that level yet, but if they're not doing that for you, you know, you got to you gotta say, hey, cool, if your weight is 150 bucks and you can't bring in three people, then, I mean, <laughs> then I'm basically paying you to come here and have a good time, like, because you're not, you're not a benefit to me, and at the end of the day, yes, promoters have to care about the asses and seats, it can't be like, well, and, and you can't take it as personal, I'm not saying you're not a good wrestler, I'm not saying you're not a draw, I'm saying it's not working here, and if you can't even mention ticket sales to somebody, or to come to the show, then really, what am I paying you for? You know what I mean? It, it, it's hard. It's, it's a, and uh, I, I've taken a much different approach to it because I don't want the company to fail. Like, but at the end of the day, it's about business. You got you got to look at it from a business perspective. There are, and there's also a number of guys where you don't give them what they want. More and more wrestlers, I hate to say it because, and as much as I hate to say it, it's proof out there on the internet. More and more wrestlers are going into business for themselves if they don't get what they want. And they do it for the 15 minutes of YouTube fame, and it offends the promoter. And a lot of things, a lot of times, it ends the opponent. We've had situations where people have gone to business for themselves. And I had one guy, and I'm not naming names, but I had one guy who was involved in the situation on basically on the receiving end. His line, what he said to the guy that did it, basically was the key to everything. He just said, because the, the guy who did it was trying to make an explanation for why he did it and blah, blah, blah. Whereas his argument was, did at any point in time, did you run this and okay this through Dan? Because if not, then it never should have been done. And to me, that's a big level of respect right there. It's like, dude, if you don't like how I'm booking you on the show or if you don't like what you're being used for in the show, either A, don't take the booking, or, you know, or B, Sorry, too bad. Like, there are no other options. Like, you don't get to come in and rewrite a whole show, especially when you're not paying for it. And it's a deadly, deadly thing in wrestling because it gives people a lot of bad, bad uh, reputations out there. So, I definitely I, now you look at it this way. Like, you have to you have to go into business looking at like at the end of the day. I don't care if you're wrestling in front of five people or you're wrestling in front of five million people. When you go out there, you have to carry yourself like, say, okay, who's the end-all, be-all decision-maker in professional wrestling right now? That's Vince. And you probably should carry yourself and say, would I be able to get away with this or what I'm about to do? Would this, would this be something that's acceptable if I was on TV? And the answer is no, and you shouldn't do it small time either. <laughs> that, that, you know, that's it. So it is a, it's a tough decision, man, but I prefer to be more the Vince than the, uh, than the WCW days. And that's just it, man. It's interesting, like, looking back on, you know, back in the day, that, like, how, you know, you can look at how it, how a company failed and how a company persevered and, and use that as a lesson moving forward in the business all the way right now in 2017. So, uh, thanks for the call, Dan. Before we let you go, that all being said, let's promote BBWF. Why don't you tell everyone uh, upcoming shows and, and where we can get tickets? Well, we've got the War at the Shore, which is taking place in Bayville, New Jersey, this Thursday, 
Uh, you're airing tomorrow, right? This episode, am I plugging this? I'm not like plugging past events at this point now, am I? No, no, no. We're, well, we're live now, and uh, we'll be on B-plus tomorrow, if not tonight. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. I'm not even telling about a big podcast. Like, I don't know how the mechanics of it work, so I'm all over the place. A-17, <laughs> we're at the shore. I believe you two gentlemen are going to be in that battle role against Glimpse Boy Show, huh? You know it. Uh, well, I, got, I, I have some major, major news that may change the course of this whole event with Grimm's Toy Show. Uh, I'm going to be having a meeting with Grimm later on tonight, and uh, we're going to be putting some things together. We'll finalize some details tomorrow, which is going to involve a lot of top talent at BBWF, a lot of opportunities, and a lot of opportunities for Grimm's Toy Show, so we'll see where that goes. But that's this Thursday night, Bayville, New Jersey. Tickets are only 10 bucks. They are available on Eventbrite or through any BBWF wrestler. Uh, 10 bucks only for a great show. And then September 15th, back in Edison, New Jersey, we are, that one is um, the point of no return. Now, that one, the big one that we're featuring there, is going to be, uh, let us see, that is the big triple threat tag team title match. That's the only match I can announce for that event right now, which is going to be yours truly and Robbie E., your BBWF tag team champions, defending against South Philly's finest and the Heavenly Bodies in a triple threat tag team match. Um, that will be in Edison, New Jersey. Tickets again for that one is only $10. Very cool. So BBWF, Bigger, Better Wrestling Federation, looking to get bigger and better as we head out of 2017 into 2018. Dan, thanks a lot for giving us a call. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right, guys. Take care. Take it easy. And, well, you know, I th- that, and that's intriguing. Like, when to think about someone who is running a wrestling company, who looks back on and, and kind of like made a little bit of the WCW mistakes, and it's kind of trying to right the ship a little bit and kind of change his approach. And, uh, you know, and, and you can see it. And we've been in the locker rooms, and you can see how, you know, guys want control. But ultimately, when it comes to creative control and it comes to, you know, your gimmick and what you're doing, who's footing the bill? And that's the guy who should be making the decisions. Obviously, you get some creative input, but – the guy who's footing the bill really should have the, the the final say. And if you think your character should be a certain way, but the guy who's paying you says, I need you to do this, you do what the guy's paying you, uh, tells you to do. As we get into this kind of double main event and we go out of, so we're out of Chris Jericho and Juventud Guerrero, Goldberg, the champion in a battle royal for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, kind of a who's who. In, in this battle royal, it's interesting that you kind of have a pay-per-view now filled with like a lot of mid-carders and then a lot of main eventers dumped into the, the final two matches, especially the second to last match in uh, this battle royal. Entertaining battle royal. It is what it is. The thing that strikes me here and will always strike me to the end of days. Jesus Christ. How does Goldberg get the giant up as easily as he does in the jackhammer? Dave, this is fun. Battle Royal. I, I can't say it, it was, you know, I mean, it was a battle Royal. It was entertaining. It was fun. Um, that's about all I got to say about that. Nothing really to overly analyze here. Yeah, this was an interesting match. I mean, uh, at the time you had the two NWO groups, uh, the Wolfpack and the Hollywood black and white that were kind of, you know, on opposing sides trying to, you know, control the landscape in WCW, and Goldberg was just right in the middle. Goldberg was an island unto himself, but he was the champion. I thought it was an interesting match. Uh, and battle royals are always fun and entertaining. Um, like you said, who's who between Nash, Hall, Sting, the uh, big show, who was, who was the giant at the time, 
Kurt Henning, Lex Luger, uh, you know, Goldberg, you know, a lot of big names in that ring. Um, this was basically done to kind of pad Goldberg's resume and to help establish him further as the champion by, you know, saying that he defeated all these guys in a battle royal. Um, I didn't mind it. I liked it. Um, and, yeah, that's that's really about it for me. Um, the only thing I didn't like about the NWO being split is that they took a guy like Sting and they put him in the wolf pack. And I didn't really care for that. Cause I felt like they did such a great job building him up you know, as this, you know, this, this this dark night, so to speak, and being this, you know, lone wolf and this savior for WCW, only for him to, like, basically kind of do the if you can't beat him, join him mentality and join the wolf pack. And I really felt like that kind of watered down the NWO concept. I, I liked when they split them up, but I didn't like when they started just cherry-picking and taking guys and putting a shirt on them and saying, yep, now you're in the NWO because – I really felt like it kind of went against, it contradicted the core values of certain guys' characters, like a Sting and like a Luger when they put them in the NWL. Well, yeah, I think this this was a really fun match because in the context of uh, in the context of uh, the storylines at the time, you had NWO Wolfpack and NWO Black and White, and they're fly, you know they're clashing, so that's always going to make for good storytelling. You had you know Hall going against Nash. You had, uh, you know, Sting and Luger, like a lot of top card talent going at each other. And then you had the story being told with Goldberg as far as, you know, here is the commentating, again, lending to the story. They're basically pushing the fact that Goldberg is not only this tough, uh, immensely strong competitor, but he's also smart. He plays the smart card for the whole match. He's not diving in, you know, wailing away on whoever's in front of him. He's in the corner. He is taking his spots. He is making sure that he has his eyes on everyone. He has his back to the turnbuckle trying to keep, you know, everyone within his field of view and trying to keep within this match. And, of course, you had the, you know, the sub story of, uh, Goldberg against at that time the Giant now as we know the Big Show all leading up to the big ending of uh, Goldberg jackhammering the Big Show Ridiculous. Uh, uh, you know and like you said Ken he, he gets him up there he might as well have been a baby you know uh, with no problem he and I still say to this day that Goldberg is one of those guys no one's going to mistake Goldberg for Bret Hart or, you know, you know, don't tell Bret Hart. Don't tell Bret Hart. You're talking like that. <laughs> no one's going to mistake Goldberg for, you know, some great technical worker. But what the WCW and remember, you know, it's fun to say to think back and say, you know, who built who? This was a WWE guy and this was a WCW. Goldberg was definitely bonafide one a WCW creation and he had he was one of the most intimidating guys in the business that entrance when he stood on that ramp and the sparks fly and he's just standing you know one of the most iconic entrances in wrestling that I can remember uh and he displayed freakish strength when he does things like jackhammer a 540 pounder uh, you know, it led up to that crescendo at the ending of this match. Great fun. It told the story. You had your unbeatable champion just padding his winning streak 
And uh, again, you, you had a good match. It would progress into the main event. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's tough to like overly analyze uh, um, a battle royal. I do, I, Dave. I think you brought up an excellent point, and it was something. And thematically, when we look at like this episode uh, of the Ken Reedy Show, and in one of our throwback episodes, um, you know, we we've kind of touched upon a lot where with the the chinks in the armor. Like when when did you really see like WCW um, going downhill? And I I could never get into Sting in in the NWO Wolfpack. Um, it just it never worked for me. Um, and him kind of you know smiling Sting now with the red face paint and the um, palling around like hey we're now we're all like long lost buddies. Um, just never worked for me. And there was like Sting when he donned the crow paint. Um, it was just character wise that it was, he hated everything the NWO was doing at the core of his being. It was beyond just a face heel thing. The way it was portrayed, and I thought it worked, was. Sting went from this gregarious, uh, loud, uh, blonde hair, brightly colored WCW guy to just a, a, a bitter, almost defeated um, warrior for, for the, the redemption of WCW. And, and it worked. It worked for a chunk of time. Um, the red face paint and joining NWO Wolfpack just didn't work for me as a fan. It was very difficult for me to get into it. Honestly, it was difficult as a whole for me to get into the, the splitting off and having two NWOs. And um, I don't know. It just, it was, and, and when you look at the, 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 the decline and where WCW was going, um, you know, that might be one of the things I would look at as well, that sting with the red face paint sting after like, this is like, I mean, look, we've all got had fights in our lives. where like, we've made up, but then we've had fights with people in our lives that at the core of our being, we will never reconcile. Like you, it, it just went too far. And, and that storyline with sting was like, he hates the NWO at the core of his being. And it just never, ever worked for me seeing him as part of the NWO, which leads us to the main event, which the most important thing I think we need to talk about in the main event is, wow, Elizabeth was hot. <laughs> like, she came down on the right, like, wow, wow, wow. Um, that's, that's all I have. That's all I have on this match. <laughs> Uh, no, but like, so this match, and also was impressed, like, Kevin Eubanks had some guns. Yeah, he did. But, uh, he did. so we got Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno with Kevin Eubanks versus Hollywood Hogan, Eric Bischoff with The Disciple, and... <laughs> Your thoughts on this match, Rock? Uh, well, you, you know what? I think uh, Dave had mentioned it earlier in the show. At the last month, you had a, a similar tag match with DDP and Carl Malone, uh, you know, against I, I forgot who uh, Hogan had in his corner or what have you. Rodman. Rodman, yeah, that makes sense. But you know, 
comparing uh, that match to this. In the previous match, I can all, I can swallow it simply because you have athletes. You know, Malone, Rodman, they're not wrestlers, but they're athletes. And in here, you have Jay Leno and Eric Bischoff. And, of course, as we know, Eric Bischoff was going to do anything he wanted to do to, you know, insert himself because he wanted to, he, he was a mark for the boys. He wanted to be one of the boys, what have you. And then you have Leno. The, the main thing I remember is, is, is the finish of the match. When you have, you know, Hogan, you have Leno turn around and Hogan's there and he's going to come in and, and Bischoff grabs Leno to hold him. Before, before Bischoff grabs him, you know, Leno actually stands there and like points to his chin like, yeah, Hogan lay one on me. I'm like, really, dude? Like, hey, I'm a tough guy. I, you know, I, I'm a Marine veteran. If I'm staring down at Hulk Hogan and he's cocking his right fist back, I'm not daring that man to hit me in the face. <laughs> and especially with, you know, with a schnoz and a chin like Leno, the last thing I want to be doing is pointing to my chin and say, go ahead, lay one on me. So to me, while the star power is, is obvious, it's going to get people to watch. Uh, I could have did without uh, the, the grandstanding by Leno. I could have did without Leno and Bischoff in a match. You know, put at, at least, at the very least, put athletes in a match, not talk show hosts. Yeah, and it's something that, like, you know, is the is the precursor, you know, more important or at least more positive came out of that than the actual match. I mean, you get on the Tonight Show, that's a good thing. Um, seemingly, it seemed like they tried to recreate almost an Andy Kaufman kind of moment that – uh, did it totally deliver? No, but there was it was interesting. Um, they get on national TV, WCW. It's part of the Tonight Show. And and as far as wrestling, I mean, it's impressive to see a guy like DDP who who got there late in his career. Um, and and I got a lot of respect for guys who who get there late in their life. Um, is is in a main event uh, type of position. But it is something that, you know, Leno being part of wrestling is probably good for WCW and maybe at the time put more eyeballs on Road Wild. But um, this match, look, I don't think it's terrible. Um, but you're right. Like, if you're going to bring people in, and it does beg the question of celebrities and who you bring in and who you don't, um, maybe at least bring in athletes, especially if you're going to put them in a main event uh, position at a pay What are your thoughts, Dave? I said at the beginning of the show – when I was watching this and, and during the buildup for this match, I thought, well, we just had celebrity involvement. Why are they doing this again? Uh, going back and remembering the Nitros and the buildup to this, like you said, Ken, the exposure on the Tonight Show and what that did for WCW and trying to get more eyeballs and kind of doing the Andy Kaufman thing, I thought it wasn't a, it wasn't a home run, but it was a solid, it was a solid double, um, in my opinion, and it wasn't terrible. Uh, the only takeaway that I have negative, negatively from this match was when Jay Leno put Hulk Hogan in a wrist lock. I didn't have necessarily a problem with him being involved in the match, as long as he was going to be interacting with Bischoff. As a kid and watching this, as a kid when this match took place and the build up towards it, and watching this match, I expected and treated this match in many ways like a mixed tag team match. Hogan would work with Page, Bischoff would work with Leno. Bischoff and Leno have limited athletic experience. 
Hogan and DDP are the are the are the, the, the workers and the pros in this match that will do the majority of the heavy lifting. And I felt with the exception of the wrist lock, Leno's participation was solid at best with his interactions with Bischoff. He sold real well. He was engaged. I'd rather him do what he did on that pay-per-view than having someone like him try to jump off the top rope or do something he can't do and then make it look even worse. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible either. And I understand why they did the whole Hogan wrist lock thing with Leno. That was for media purposes. They, they milked that wrist lock for a while, but it, for, for, for newspaper shots and it made the front page of the USA Today. But if he did that with Bischoff, it wouldn't have made the front page. But because he did it with Hogan, that's why it, made, that's why it, it got, caused such a stir. Because Leno, not an athlete, did that to the most recognizable professional wrestler in the history of the game, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I, I didn't have I didn't have too much of a problem with this, uh, Elizabeth. Holy cow! Where's my wife? Is she she's upstairs yet? Holy cow! <laughs> <laughs> I wish she, yeah, I, I'm watching. Like I had the I've had the pay per view on during the whole show, and, and I give I'm and like right, the, actually coincidentally the main event is on right now. And oh my god! So like, we know where you paused now. it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Mike, like honestly, she was back in joke. the day, like when she debuted, obviously. But there's just something about her and the chaps. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But she yeah. was my legit, legit my first crush. She was legit my first <laughs> crush ever. It was first celebrity crush. But yeah, regardless of the fact, didn't he really have too much of an issue with this? It was okay. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. What's what yeah, it was. and I think like you're looking at this pay-per-view where, you know, again, you get that celebrity involvement, and, and maybe at some point we do a, a throwback show talking about celebrity involvement, because it is kind of a crapshoot. It really is. Like, what you're going to do, it's like where the athleticism is, who you get involved with, and, and what you ask them to do. And, and, and there are, like, multiple layers of, of things when you come to wrestling. And, Dave, you bring up great points. When you look at, like, you know, if you're the wrestling fan, and, and the IWC obviously wasn't as strong back in the day as they are now, but they may crap upon a lot of this matchup. But now looking at the fact that you have that picture in the, the paper of Jay Leno getting over on Hulk Hogan, putting Hogan in a wrist lock, and you can publicize that. Yeah, does it make sense in the context of, of pro wrestling and pro wrestling supposing to be, like, it's supposed to be real in the context of the story being told. Does it make sense that the greatest of all time is, is being physically dominated by a talk show host? No, it doesn't. But does it make business sense to have that picture plastered all over the media and get some of that mainstream attention and eyeballs that maybe wouldn't watching pro wrestling to watch your product, that makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. And that's the thing with pro wrestling, entertainment. And sometimes you got to kind of bite the bullet and you take someone who's maybe not as athletically gifted, but someone who will bring more eyeballs. So for the most part, is this a five-star match? No, but for the most part, in this match, they used Leno the way Leno should have been used. And in a pay-per-view that was kind of a start and stop, matches kind of bring it home in a fairly solid way. That I'm not going to look at this, any of us here are going to look at this pay-per-view and say, wow, is a home run. It's a match, not a fight, but definitely entertaining. Next week, we will get you guys set for WWE SummerSlam. 
giving you the full two hours. Looking forward to more throwback episodes. For Rocky and Dave, I am Ken. Good night, everybody.